truth in song and reminder where our confidence should lie in the Lord. Amen. Amen. And our soul can be at peace. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, while you're turning there, uh, Noah's prayer letter is ready uh, to be folded and to be mailed. Uh, If you can help with that today, would you please, right after church, meet in the copy room and uh, help out with that so we can get that sent out. Uh, We read his prayer letter on Wednesday night. Uh, If you weren't here, it should go out into your your inbox and your email. Um, But if you can help put that together to get mailed out, we would appreciate that, okay? And that'll be right after the service. All right, Philippians chapter 4. Our text for this series of messages is verses 4 through 9, and we'll be here for a number of weeks yet uh, in this. And the, the thought behind the series of messages is experiencing calm in a chaotic world. And there are six verses here with four admonitions that Paul gives that lays out how the child of God can experience true inner peace, a peace of God that is incomprehensible uh, to the natural man, a peace of God that will guard or keep our hearts and our minds, even in the midst of trouble or chaos. And that is the thesis behind this whole series of messages. And we started out with this phrase in verse 6. The very first words of verse 6, be careful for nothing. Paul says, be careful for nothing. The word careful means anxious. And so, in other words, he's saying, don't be anxious over anything. And we we talked about how God doesn't want His people living with fret. He wants less fret and more faith in Him. And we talked about this issue of anxiety. Be careful, be anxious over nothing. Anxiety is a killer. Anxiety is a killer of joy a killer of peace that we ought to have in the Lord. And we just, we talked about what anxiety is. Anxiety is often a meteor shower of what ifs. People live with this state of mind. Well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And living under the dread of what if. Have you ever noticed that the what if uh, mentality is, is never positive? It's like, it's what if this happens, and, what if, and it's always bad, it's always negative. And the opposite side, well, what if, what, what if it doesn't? What if this happens? And what if you can fly instead of fall? You know, that kind of thing. It's never positive. It's always negative, and it's just this constant dread of what if. Anxiety is related to fear. Anxiety and fear are closely related. We said they're like cousins. Legitimate fear will see an actual threat but anxiety imagines a threat. It imagines something that, that could happen, that might be there. Anxiety is going to steal sleep. It's going to steal your energy. Anxiety will steal your sense of well-being, uh, even your, your mental faculties and a host of other things. Anxiety will steal it. Anxiety will twist you up in emotional pretzels. It can cause your body to ache and pain from stress. And the point is, that is not how God wants His people to live. A life of anxiety is often indicative of a life that is not living trusting the Lord. And Philippians 4 
In verses 4 through 9, Paul lays out for us how the child of God can live with and know the peace of God. It is perfect peace. It is complete peace. It's not temporary or fleeting moments of joy or calm. It's permanent. It can be permanent in the Lord, and that is where the Lord wants us to live. And these six verses... There are four admonitions that lead us to this wonderful promise, the peace of God that passes all understanding, that keeps your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We said this is celebrating God's goodness. Here's the first of the formula or the layout, if you will. Celebrate God's goodness. Rejoice in the Lord always. And we're going to get back to that in just a little bit. Then secondly, it was ask God for help. Verse 6 says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Ask God for help. And then he says, leave your concerns with the Lord. He he mentions with thanksgiving. He adds that on, tags it on. He says in verse 6, with supplication, or uh, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And then the last was meditate on good things. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And then you get to verse 9. Paul says those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And what is the result going to be? And the God of peace shall be with you. And so, these are four admonitions that we'll work our way through that lead to the promise of verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I believe this is something that we need. People say, well, I don't struggle with anxiety. I don't struggle with fear. Um, You may not be one who has a struggle with it, but you know what? Our overconfidence sometimes uh, can be a cruel imposter in our life. And what we need to learn, no matter what, is to rest in the Lord. Amen? And so, we started with this call to rejoice in the Lord. Verse 4, we talk about celebrating the goodness of God. Paul says what you need to do is rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. And we talked about this rejoicing in the Lord. What is there to rejoice in the Lord about? And we last week we talked about the fact that we could rejoice in the Lord for His sovereignty. His sovereignty. Sovereignty is the term that we use to describe God's perfect control and management of the universe. He preserves and governs every element. He is continually involved with His creation. He is continually directing or allowing His creation to act in a way that will ultimately fulfill His divine purposes and for His glory. And when it comes to dealing with anxious thoughts of the heart and the mind, a proper understanding of sovereignty is huge. It's huge because anxiety is often the consequence of perceived chaos. And what I mean by that is if we sense that we are not in control, 
And all of these unknowns are out here in front of us, and we can't see the outcome for what it's going to be. We are often anxious or troubled in our heart. And we, and we talked about some principles that we need to remember. The first principle was this. Anxiety increases as perceived control diminishes. Anxiety increases as perceived control diminishes. In other words, it's like this. The only time that I feel secure or the only time that I feel confident is if I have a plan and I can see exactly the outcome of this plan. In other words, controlling the whole thing. That's the only time that I feel confident. Well, the Bible has a better idea. Rather than seeking total control, we ought to be able to relinquish it to the Lord because He's sovereign. He's the one who's in control. You can't control your life, but you can entrust it to the Lord. And that is the message behind Paul's admonition to rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord, that's where we rejoice. Peace is within reach. Not because the problems and the struggles all go away, but because of the presence of our sovereign Savior. That's where peace comes from, in the middle of the storm. And we can stabilize our life. We can stabilize our soul because of the sovereignty of God. He is in control. Amen? He actually does reign supreme over every detail in your life, either causing or allowing. And in that, God's people can rest. Rejoice in the Lord. He's always the same. He's never going to leave. He'll never forsake. He is ever present. The second principle that we said we needed to remember was that our anxiety decreases as our understanding of our Father increases. So anxiety increases as perceived control diminishes. When I'm losing control, it makes me anxious. But on the other side, anxiety goes down. Anxiety decreases as my understanding of God begins to increase. Why? Because I begin to understand His heart and His character more. The next time that you fear the future or that you're full of anxiety about anything, rejoice in the Lord. He's on the throne. He knows. He's my Father. He loves me. Fill your mind with thoughts of God from His Word and not rehearsing over and over and over and over the imaginary problems. Learn His character. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. God has something in mind. And God's going to take care. And so we can rejoice in the Lord because He's sovereign. The second thing that I want us to look at today is that we can also rejoice in the Lord because He's gracious and He's merciful. Paul says in the middle of anxiety, you know what? You should rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in God. Rejoice in the Lord that He is God. Why? Because He's gracious and He's merciful. Lamentations 3 and verse 21 says, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. I'm remembering this thing, and it's giving me hope. What am I remembering? That it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know what, friend? We can rejoice in the Lord that He is gracious, that He is compassionate, that He is merciful. What does it mean to be gracious? 
What does it mean to be merciful? It mean, gracious means that, that God gives me all the things that I don't deserve in my life. To be merciful means that God doesn't give me exactly what I deserve in my life. That's a reason to rejoice. That I don't get exactly what I deserve. Mercy is what God gives. And that He gives me grace all the things that I don't deserve. One source of anxiety in a person's life can be that of guilt. The quagmire of remorse can cause a person's life to be filled with anxiety. Whether it comes from a moment in life, you made a mistake, I'm guilty, I feel guilty over the mistake, or whether it comes from a season in life, this period of time in my life I regret and I feel guilty over, that can often be a, gre- a breeding ground for anxiety. There's a, let me tell you a, a personal story, an illustration. I don't, I don't know if I've told you this story or not. There's a time when I used to play baseball and I played baseball from the time I was little all the way up into even college, I played some, some baseball. But when I was in high school, um, trying to play all the different sports, you don't have time to work a job, you don't have any money, you don't have any of that kind of stuff because your life is just full of, of these other activities. And it was in the middle of the baseball season, and my batting glove, one of them wore a hole in it, you know, where you're always gripping the bat and so on, and it wore a big hole right here in the palm of my batting glove and it was uncomfortable and I wanted new batting gloves Uh, but I didn't have any money to buy batting gloves and grant you at at this time I'm not saved I'm an unsaved person okay so don't judge me (laughs) for what I'm going to tell you I know you're going to judge all you want right I'll judge you back so I wanted these batting gloves and I didn't have any money to buy batting gloves, but I would always like, anytime I was in a sporting goods store or whatever, I'd be looking at the sporting equipment, looking at the batting gloves, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there was one point in time, I was 16 years old, I think, um, at the time. And I was in, I think it was a Kmart. Ever, anybody know what a Kmart is? <laughs> I don't even think they exist anymore. Shut up. <laughs> kick you in the teeth. Um, I was in a Kmart and I was back in the sporting goods section and I'm like looking at all the batting gloves and this thought crosses my mind that you know what? It's just a pair of batting gloves. No one's around. I could probably just put these in my shirt real quick and no one's going to know and I'm going to get myself a pair of batting gloves. And I kept looking and kept looking and kept kind of just weighing this out in my mind and the moment came when I was all alone no one's around and I grabbed the package and I just stuffed them in my shirt real quick and off I went well I got to the checkout register area and I'm walking past that inside I'm like full of nervousness because I just took something that didn't belong to me 
and I get past the register and I get to the doors and I walk through the, the uh, automatic doors and I step foot outside and all of a sudden this guy behind me says, hey, excuse me. I was like, what? He's like, hey, come back in here. I'm like, well, who are you? And he said, I'm security. I know what you did. And I'm busted, totally busted. And he said, we already called the cops. So I have a choice. I can run <laughs> and make this worse, or I can just go with them, and whatever happens, happens. So I turn around, and I walk back in, and they took me into their security office. He was a regular little plain clothes guy, and they have video cameras everywhere. They were watching me, and they're, they're people who walk around. They look like shoppers, but they're actually security. That's what was going on. I sit down in the office and he starts asking me like, why did you do that? Why did you take those? And I just was like, you know what? I don't have any money. I play baseball and I just thought I could just, I should just take them. He's like, people have to work for those things. You know, and he just goes on this whatever. I'm already feeling bad, mostly because I got caught. Not because, necessarily because I stole it. But they had called the police, the police come they talked to me, and because I was cooperative with them, they're like, you know what, um, we'll, not, we'll not press any charges. And so the police said, okay, you can go. And I'm thinking to myself, whew, I got out of that one. But all the way home, driving my car home, there was this dread inside of me, full of anxiety. Because I was guilty for what I had done. And it wasn't even necessarily guilt over the fact that, that I had stolen something. The guilt was coming or the dread was coming because I knew I was going to have to tell my parents. Now, I could have not told my parents because there were no charges. Nothing happened. But there was just this anxiety inside, overwhelming. And I, just, I, I knew I was guilty and I had to tell my parents about what I did. I wasn't in trouble anymore, but the guilt that I felt inside caused so much anxiety inside of me that I couldn't rest, that I couldn't be at peace. And this is what I'm talking about. Guilt can be a source of anxiety in a person's life. There's guilt that sits in the soul like a concrete block. And it just sits there and weighs you down. It causes a person to feel bad sometimes for even being alive. People can walk around just feeling guilty. Even sorry that they're alive. There's a guilt that says, I did bad. And then there's a guilt that concludes, I am bad. After a while of sitting on this, before I told my parents, I came to the conclusion and the guilt that I was feeling was that I am bad. Not just that I did bad. And I would say this, I would ask the question to you this afternoon, who hasn't felt that at some point in your life? Uh, you know, that you did something. There was a moment in your life that, 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 that you wish you could take back, that you regret, that you feel guilt over. 
Or maybe your guilt isn't from a moment in life, but maybe it's from a season in life. Like maybe you feel bad that you failed as a parent in some way, and today that still haunts you, wishing that you could have done something different or go back and do something over again. And this thought, this that I'm a failure as a parent, haunts me and I feel guilty over it. Or maybe you squandered away your youth or squandered your money and now you reap the consequences and you constantly feel guilty. It can be a source of anxiety. Did you know that humanity's first occasion of anxiety can be attributed to guilt? I'm talking about Adam and Eve. Do you remember how... Adam and Eve enjoyed fellowship with God and they walked in the garden and so in the cool of the evening and so on. And then after Eve sinned and Adam sinned, things changed. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Why did they hide themselves? Up to this point, there was no indication that they felt any kind of fear or trepidation with the Lord. In fact, they enjoyed only sweet fellowship with the Lord. What happened? What happened was that they said yes to the serpent's temptation and they said no to God. That's what happened. And when they did, their world changed. All of a sudden, they felt guilt inside. They felt shame. They felt dread. Anxiety had now filled their heart and their mind so that when the Lord was coming, they wanted to hide. They didn't know how to process that failure. So they made fig leaves and they hid themselves. Humanity's first occasion of anxiety can be contributed to guilt. And listen, friend, often we don't know how to process our failures either. But we still try. Maybe we don't duck into bushes like Adam and Eve. Maybe we have more sophisticated ways of trying to process that failure, but it's still the same result. Sometimes what people do is they numb it. They numb their failures. They numb their anxiety. They numb their guilt. Some people do that with alcohol, with drugs, with pornography, etc. Because the guilt disappears during happy hour, right? Amazing how it reappears the next day. Some people deny it. Some people try to minimize it. Some people will try to bury it. They'll suppress it beneath a mountain of work or a calendar of appointments. The busier they stay, the less time they have to be alone with their thoughts. Sometimes people will punish it. They'll emotionally hurt themselves. They'll beat themselves up. They'll continually flog themselves for their mistake. Maybe not with physical whips, but with rules. That's how we do that. More rules. Lists of things to do, observances to keep, painful penance, if you will, to pay for what I did. I have to pray more. I have to study more. I can't do this. I can't do that. I make all these rules for myself, basically punishing. Some people avoid the mention of it. Just don't bring it up. Don't tell the family. Keep everything on the surface. Avoid it. Some people will redirect it. 
It causes them to lash out at others because of the guilt they feel in their own heart. Some people try to offset it. They determine, I'm never ever going to make another mistake. I'm going to build a perfect life. I'm going to be the perfect Christian. Everything's got to be perfect. My hair, my appearance, my tone of voice. When I talk to people, I got to stay in control. Be absolutely intolerant of any slip-ups or foul-ups by myself or even other people. Adam and Eve hid behind fig leaves and bushes, but not a lot has really changed in the human course of life. What happens to a person who never discovers a healthy response to failures? What kind of person is created who lives constantly with unresolved guilt? An anxious one. A forever hiding one. A forever running one. Denying, pretending that everything's okay. That's the kind of person that is created who never discovers a healthy response to failure. One man admitted this. He said, I was always living a lie for fear someone might see me for who I really was and think less of me, disapprove of me, reject me, or judge me. So I hid behind my fig leaf of competence or knowledge or super spirituality or a whole list of other options. But in reality, I was just an insecure man living with this lie that was exhausting and anxiety producing. Unresolved guilt is something that can turn you into a miserable, weary, angry, stressed out, fretful mess. And hiding is not the answer. The psalmist has the right answer. In Psalm 32, in verse 3, David said this, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Anxiety is often the cause of guilt. Guilt is also something that sucks the life out of your soul. But God's grace and God's mercy is what can restore it. Why do we rejoice in the Lord? Because He's gracious and He's merciful. Guilt will suck the life out of you, but God's grace and God's mercy is what restores it. And you know what? The Apostle Paul himself clung to this grace and this mercy of God. He did that to the same degree that he believed that God was sovereign. He also relied on God's grace and mercy. Consider his life. No one had more reason to feel the burden of guilt than Paul did. The Bible tells us, and Paul says it himself, that he was a persecutor. Go over to Acts chapter 8. Keep your place here and look at Acts chapter 8. Verse 
Acts chapter 8 and verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. So Saul, before he became the Apostle Paul, the Bible says he made havoc of the church. What did he do? He orchestrated the death of Christians. He arrested them in their homes. He killed them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And Saul thought he was doing God's work. Saul was also legalist to the core. Back in Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this in verses 4 through 6. Look at it with me. Verse 4, he said, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Notice here that he was legalist to the core. He thought he was doing the work of God. Paul had blood on his hands all the while he had religious diplomas hanging on his wall. Then what happened? Then came the Damascus Road experience. Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. And once he did, Paul couldn't see anymore. Physically, he couldn't see, but also all the things of his life he couldn't see anymore. He couldn't see the merit in his accomplishments. He couldn't see his worth. He couldn't see his works and glory in those things. He couldn't see the reasons to boast in the things that he had done anymore. He couldn't see any other option but to spend the rest of his life talking less about himself and more about Jesus Christ. See what he says in verse 7. He says, but what things were gained to me? What's he talking about? All the stuff he just said. All of his religious accomplishments. All of his life worth. He said, those things which were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. He couldn't see any of the religious accomplishments or life accomplishments. All he could see now was my, my life needs to be lived to talk less about me and exalt Jesus Christ. In exchange for self-salvation, God gave Paul his righteousness. What grace. Look at verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. In exchange for all of that self-salvation, God was gracious to Paul and he gave him his righteousness. Paul gave all of the guilt that he would have had and could have had for persecuting the church and killing people. He gave it all to Jesus Christ period. He didn't numb it. He didn't hide it. He didn't deny it. He didn't offset it. He didn't punish himself. He simply surrendered it to the Lord. 
Why? Because God is gracious and merciful. The Bible tells us in Psalm 86 and verse 4, Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. God is good, He's ready to forgive, He's plenteous in mercy for the one who will call upon Him. What would Paul say to the guilt-ridden person today? Simply this, rejoice in the Lord's mercy and grace. Trust in His ability to forgive. Abandon any attempt at justification. No more hiding behind fig leaves. Cast yourself upon the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and Him alone. Why? Because He is gracious and He is merciful and He's ready to forgive to the one who will call upon Him. This is the response to guilt. Psalm 86, verse 15, But thou, Lord... O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant. Psalm 103 and verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Psalm 145, 8, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy, the Lord is good to all and His tender mercies over all His works. And then we know 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, a happy saint is one who is at the same time both aware of the severity of his sin, but also the immensity of God's grace. Do I need to say that again? A happy saint, a happy Christian is one who knows the severity of his sin, but knows that the grace of God is bigger and greater. You don't have to wallow in guilt. You don't have to have a life full of anxiety because you feel guilty over mistakes of your past. Give it to the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord for who He is, that He's gracious and He's merciful. When you do that, sin is not diminished, but neither is God's ability to forgive it. It's not diminished. we got to remember that in Christ, in Christ, we live in grace, not guilt. Psalm 103.11, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy to them that fear Him. I don't think there's an end to going up. 
As far as the heaven is higher than the earth, so great is His mercy toward you and me. It doesn't end. Verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. You know what? East and west never touch. You start going east, and you're always going to keep going east. East and west never touch. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgression from us. He's removed it. It's gone. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. God's grace and His mercy is greater than our sin. Surely, surely it is, and you know it. So then why would we continue to live in it or the guilt of it? Amen? God forbid. God forbid that we would. God forbid that we should. What a slap in the face of God. Titus 2 and verse 11 says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us... What does God's grace teach us? God's grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And then Paul said to Titus, he said, These things speak and exhort. In other words, he said, Paul told Titus, speak these things about God. Tell the people these things about God. Let them exhort and encourage the saints of God. And I'm saying to you, friend, Paul could do that because he clung to that grace and the mercy himself. And it leads us to this last thought for today. And the thought is this. Look at verses 13 and 14 of Philippians 3. Philippians 3, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The thought is this, your future matters more than your past. Your future matters more than your past. Paul said, I, I don't count myself to have arrived. I've not reached this, this state of, of, of perfection or the glorified state. I've not, I don't count myself to have apprehended. I haven't attained this and arrived yet. But here's what I'm doing. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark. Your future is more important than your past. God's grace is greater than our sin. 
We understand that. Sometimes there are things in life that we do that are not good. But God is always good. And God is always ready to forgive to the one that would call upon Him. He's always ready to pardon if we would just confess it and cast ourselves upon His mercy and His grace. He will do that because that's where He is. That's what He is. He is merciful and He is gracious. And I'm saying this to you out of love. I'm saying it to you as your friend. If you're here today and you've got guilt in your heart and you keep beating yourself up over something of the past, Remember this, your future is more important than your past. Stop beating yourself up over past failures. If you've given it over to the Lord already, then stop beating yourself up over the failures of your past. Like Paul, forget those things that are behind. Reach forward to those things which are before. Rest in the mercy and the grace of God. This is where we come to the right response to guilt. Rejoice in the Lord. What is there to rejoice in the Lord about? Well, He's sovereign. He's in control. He knows what's going on in your life. We can also rejoice in the Lord that He is gracious and merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And He only gives us everything we don't deserve. Amen? Lots of reasons to rejoice in the Lord. These become good things. We're dealing with the issue of anxiety of heart and soul. I've got so much to rejoice in the Lord about. There was a pastor and Christian author who tells of a lesson of trust that he learned from a family of trapeze artists that he once knew. At one point, he asked one of the flyers the secret of a trapeze artist. And he said, aren't you afraid to fall? The acrobat gave this reply. The secret is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, my catcher, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron. The worst thing the flyer can do is to try to catch the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's his job to catch me. If I grab Joe's wrists, I might break them, or he might break mine, and that would be the end for both of us. A flyer must fly, a catcher must catch, and the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. He goes on to say that God is the catcher, we are the flyers. We are to trust, period. When we rely solely on God's ability to catch us, we can have the confidence of the Apostle Paul when he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Place yourself entirely in His care. And as you do, you'll find it possible, yes, possible, to be anxious or careful for nothing. Amen? 
That is a great truth for the anxious soul. Next time we're going to talk about how long should we rejoice in the Lord. Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Amen? Let this be encouraging to your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use your word to encourage our heart and our life and speak to hearts. I pray, Lord, that victory is won, that you are glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.